say, Danny? I have to say that, and maybe this is a good position to come in on, <laughs> is that I really don't know very much about you or your work at all. So I clicked on your website, you know, like I don't really just go with anyone that people tells me, like as people tell me stuff all the time. Um, but like I tend to go with my feeling, you know, like whatever I feel when I see someone. And um, so I, I definitely liked your your just picture, <laughs> your image. <laughs> like it made me smile straight away. But I was very I used to be interested in Barbara and Brennan Healy years and years ago, like back when I was like, I don't know, more than 15 years ago. Um, so I saw that. And then I also saw somatic experiencing um, the work of Peter Levine, which I'm hearing a lot about now because my partner, my fiance has just um, qualified as a psychotherapist and he wants to study somatic experiencing. And um, so I'm quite interested in that as well. Um, and then just myself, I'm uh, I think the exploration of this kind of podcast is about where like healing fits into our awakening or even our our wholeness really you know that we're what we're discovering when we're waking up to the truth of who we are is that we're beyond this body mind character and everything that goes with it and the whole world even and um, but then yet this body mind character story still goes on <laughs> and everything doesn't live is what we discover you know maybe momentarily or for some amount of time I think maybe many of us have an experience of just like love and bliss and everything's good and it's so good or maybe many of us don't have that experience as a and um, but then after some time it seems like just you know normal human life continues and those um maybe like past traumas are part of our our character and we experience those and I don't know I'm starting to feel like maybe it's not us personally but you know it's kind of our responsibility to not just look away from them and look only towards awareness or something I feel like it's asked of us or it's just like what consciousness is doing as well but you know like the something wants us to resolve any traumas and anything that feels separate and anything that isn't just experiencing that joy of wholeness <laughs> like that so um yeah i hope you're gonna include on this recording everything you just said because that's <laughs> pretty much where the realm i am working in at this point in time and maybe for your listeners, I'll just give a brief summary of some of the um, parts of my spiritual path, um, which did start with Barbara Ann Brennan's Hands of Light work back in 19, I don't know, I think it was the 1980s. So it's quite some time ago. And the world of healing opened up um, my whole process, you could say, and that eventually led to a desire for spiritual awakening. Um, at first, my desire was to do the magical things that Barbara Ann Brennan was capable of doing, mm -hmm. which was seeing inside the body and helping people through very accurate perception to open up these traumas and, and conditioning, you could say, that they held within their subtle body and physical body. And in that opening, you naturally open to a greater reality, which eventually opens you to spirit or God or wanting awakening. Mm. Um, but at the time I was in my early 30s, had never done therapy, had never really looked too deeply inside. And it started a process of probably um, to this day of looking inside as part of my spiritual path. So it was never separate for me. And I, I look at that as a blessing because if I had gone to quote non-dual awakening before I did my inner work, I don't think I would have been very stable. Mm. And what we're seeing in the <laughs> spiritual circles these days are a kind of bringing together of this inner work and spiritual awakening 
not all spiritual circles. Mm. Um, where it isn't happening, you're seeing the explosion of the exposure of shadow stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Where where a lot of people are accusing teachers of not having good boundaries of sexual abuse or mm-hmm. spiritual bypassing the word the words coined by John Wellwood a while ago, mm-hmm. where spirituality is used to avoid the personal work. Yeah. I think this is a leading edge that hasn't been present in spirituality so much, probably to this till this day. Yeah. And it's a blessing that it is. Yeah, and I just feel like it's so important because many people I just feel like they get very kind of confused and then I don't know, like it's almost like I think it's very important that you're living in that recognition like I think that non-dual pointing you know that's really direct I feel like that's so important you know and it should be I don't know should be it's right word but it's like a foundation you know that it's good to kind of keep in your heart and like you reckon you're recognizing who you are um but I feel like people when they also see that there's something that needs to be healed like there's conditioning or like you said like your shadow self then it's almost like um it brings it's like a trick or something that like can bring us back into the belief that we're we're not actually in the recognition of who we are when they can both be there at the same time you know like we can be in the recognition of our the truth of who we are which is healing in itself (laughs) i feel it's very healing but i think that Mm -hmm. actually gives us the courage it gives us a huge courage to do what you're calling like personal work which is a good way of putting yeah what has been missing for me in a lot of the teachings, and I feel like I am here to talk about, is knowledge of the subtle body. Mm. And my knowledge of the subtle body started with the healing work with Barbara Brennan, where we were introduced to the concept of chakras. Mm. Um, but we weren't given knowledge of Kundalini or the Eastern view, really, of the chakra system and Kundalini. And I, I wasn't aware of how intricate, how subtle, how precise the um, information is in Kundalini science. And that was introduced to me through a Swami who has since passed. And his service was called uh, Patanjali Kundalini Yoga Care. Mm-hmm. And it's being carried on by a woman in Austria right now uh, called Sylvia Eberl. I'll get back to that later. Mm-hmm. But what I learned um, through my own Kundalini process, which went on for about 12 to 14 years and is still subtly unfolding, is that every person awakens <laughs> in a very unique way. And what people think of as Kundalini um, kind of has a bad rap as kind of this um, energy process that takes over your body, sometimes in a very disturbing way. Um, It was redefined for me by Swamiji, I'll call him. Uh, His full name is Swami Chandrasekharanan Saraswati, but we call him Swamiji. (laughs) Um, it was redefined as simply the divine feminine presence within every human being, within every human being on any spiritual path. Mm. And different unique spiritual paths have different symbology for Kundalini Shakti, different methods for opening up the subtle body and allowing her to completely renovate and restore and open you to non-dual awareness and union. Mm. So if you were Native American, for instance, Native American in America, Mm -hmm. you would have different rituals, different sounds, different ways of working with your own subtle energies to open you. Very Mm -hmm. different from the Jewish path of Kabbalah, which I've studied very different from the classic Hindu way of working with energy chakra system openings. Mm. So every path has its unique way, unique name. But without this knowledge of the subtle body, you kind of don't understand what's happening to you Mm. or why somebody would have an immediate non-dual opening or someone else like me had a very gradual 
opening that was very guided, um, in this case, by practices I was given through Swamiji. And um, within their knowledge, it's called Kundalini Vidya, Kundalini knowledge. Mm. There, We were taught that there were six different ways of initial rising of the Kundalini. Mm. Nobody talks about that. And the six different ways greatly affect how you experience your spiritual opening from a calm, gentle opening to other openings that are more troublesome to um, a kind of first stabilization point, which is here, that some people misconstrue as their final opening, when in reality the openings continue and get more and more subtle. So when I hear people talking about their spiritual experience, that's become my point of reference. And usually when somebody has had a big awakening, I like to hear what they're talking about 10 years later, five, <laughs> 10 years later, mm -hmm. because it's really easy to assume, like you said, that the bliss-filled state is the end of the journey. Mm -hmm. And very often it's just the initial opening. Yeah, And then other things happen. They're happening through the inner workings, at least as far as I can tell, of Kundalini Shakti, no matter what name you decide to call her. <laughs> mm. We're wired for this opening, what, no matter what tradition you are in. Can I slow you down like a lot for a second? Um, so I'd probably be a good person for this because I have to say I know absolutely nothing at all about Kundalini like so this will be for like maybe there will be some people listening that have ideas about kundalini but i did hear you saying that many people also get it wrong so maybe with me asking you questions i literally i have no idea about it at all so the first question will be like okay i don't know anything about kundalini so is it the same as like what they might call chi or life force energy or something like that or is that a different kind of energy yeah chi or life force or prana in sanskrit hmm. is one of uh five ways kundalini works through our system and this is an unusual definition as something that is more subtle than that you could call it first cause Mm. Um, the light of all lights, um, the same as the God force, except it's embedded within our first chakra, Muladhara chakra, at the base of the spine. Mm. It's embedded as the potential um, for us to become one with God. And it is awakened within us by certain circumstances and proceeds in awakening the rest of the subtle centers, the seven chakras, mm. when it has a, quote, awakened uh, or aroused rising. Mm. And as it proceeds upwards, people have all sorts of different sensations, experiences, awarenesses, openings. And again, different cultures describe this differently. I am Jewish. I work with Kabbalah in my healing practice. Mm. So the tree of life also describes this, but with very different cultural language, metaphor. Mm. Um, it doesn't talk about us. Um, it doesn't talk about it the same way, but it is a similar process mm. of awakening and opening. So it's more subtle than prana. Mm. It uses prana and the subtle system to help us awaken. Uh, okay. And I wonder, what would you say? Like, do you feel like it's very important to know about it or to have an understanding of what's happening, like within Kundalini, your Kundalini system? Like, or is it like, because for me, for example, I don't think about Kundalini or. Of course, I feel like energy in my body on different levels, but I don't really relate it. I have no Kundalini book that I've ever read, so I have no concepts right. about Kundalini. Really, not zero. I mean, I've heard the word, and I probably have a few ideas. Right. But 
It's helpful to the extent that all maps are helpful, helpful mm -hmm. in that it helps give you some reference points for what you are experiencing. Mm -hmm. It's been particularly helpful with people who are not having a um, calm and peaceful Kundalini experience. And I seem to get a lot of calls from those people. Mm. And most of the time, it's because Kundalini has entered a, quote, troublesome channel, or it's stuck somewhere. Mm. And what happens when that <clears throat> happens is you're, um, you kind of get pinged at certain areas of your psyche and your subtle body and your chakra system. And it brings up a lot of stuff, a lot of difficult stuff sometimes, whether it's previous traumas. This mm. is the explanation for why previous traumas come up in spiritual awakening, is that energetically, mm. your subtle body is getting pinged or hit because mm. of this inner process. And they it opens up past experiences, which are called um, samskaras or vasanas. Mm. Uh, these are Sanskrit words, previous desires, previous mm. um uh, stuck places or conditioning in your subtle body. When these places are pinged energetically, you feel them. Mm. And like some people have said, I don't know why all this stuff is coming up. Why am I kind of swamped by all these memories or past life traumas or current life traumas? Mm. It's because your subtle body is releasing them or trying to release them. Yeah, was... So it's helpful to understand it. Yeah, it is. And then when, let's say, a particular um, area is is triggered, but like then something that's in your conditioning, like trauma, all traumas, maybe memories. And I know there can be more than just this life. It can be things that we don't necessarily understand at all. Um, but would we, would you then work like on a level of, now this might be a nonsensical question because I don't know anything about Kundalini, but would you work on a level of Kundalini or would you be working like directly with the trauma story or like the, you know, like I think in somatic experiencing, it's like just the raw, no, I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know much about that either, but you can maybe talk a bit about it, but like the raw yeah. sensation in the body. Right. Um you can enter in from any place, really. And what I like about somatic experiencing and Peter Levine's work mm -hmm. is that you can start with the sensations of the body. And in welcoming them, your experience expands to different levels. But you start with the body sensations. Yeah. And in doing so, you're working with the nervous system. And our nervous system is ancient. And there is also a subtle correlation to our nervous system in the spine. And when we're working with our current day present nervous system and sensation, we're also working on subtle levels. So what I'm saying is you can start with the physical and the subtle levels are affected. Yeah. Um, I personally don't work in my healing practice as a practitioner. I don't work directly with Kundalini like Swamiji worked with, with me. Um, I work with expanding the person's capacity to welcome the sensations and welcome the memories and welcome the emotional feelings that are associated with those things. And when we do that, the subtle body kind of empties itself also. And when it empties itself of those past impressions and memories, Kundalini seems to have permission or um, and more of ease in working in your own system and things happen. Mm. So that's where I feel I have a certain expertise in, in helping people. That's good. You're very good at making it very clear. So I have this kind of weird question in my head that maybe doesn't have an answer. <laughs> but let's say if somebody's, or maybe this would never happen, I don't know, like if somebody's whole 
Kundalini system was totally free flowing and open. Do you feel like is this what we're like aiming for or is there an aim? And if that was the case, like what's that? It's just like that we're experiencing um we're experiencing ourselves really as we are, really like, you know, like because it's not inhibited by like the past, <laughs> I suppose. So yeah, like we're just conditioning, a, a, just say conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's that's a, I think it's a good question, and there's different levels. First of all, it's a hypothetical question, right? Because I've mm -hmm. never met anybody who was born that way, mm -hmm. and yet, I, for instance, I am a fan of the Indian state saint Ananda Mahima, mm -hmm. and when you read about her life, she went through the illusion of practice, of spiritual practice, and the illusion of many paths like Ramakrishna did, another Indian saint. Mm. Um, they went through the, quote, play of having a practice, mm. and it happened very quickly. And supposedly they realized the unity of all paths, which is very interesting. Yeah. But Ananda Marima came in with to a body as kind of an avatar, again, another Sanskrit word, which means totally realized. My teacher, Swamiji, um, came in with many difficulties and family stuff, mm. but he had a very, very highly desired rising and kundalini process. It took him eight years to complete it, eight years, many, much of which he was somewhat disabled and needed to be taken care of. Mm. And it was the kind of process that he called the teacher's process. So over the eight years, it systematically went through each chakra and repaired it and gave him the knowledge of Kundalini science as it was doing that, mm. inner knowledge from his own process. So that was very unusual. I had a different process, but he was able to be a superb teacher because he had inner knowledge. And then his spiritual development continued over the next 50, 60 years that he was on this planet in a body and he learned both inner and outer methods to be able to help people mm. with the specific Kundalini science knowledge that was Subtle and mind-blowing, if you ask me. I was always blown away by how he worked with people so subtly and so specifically. I mm. don't have that gift. I didn't have that rising. Mm. But I work from the inside out with people, and things happen, we could say, right? Yeah. So going back to your question, I, I don't think as souls that our growth – finishes with the resolution or completion of Kundalini process. Mm. I think that our growth continues and there's more and more subtle and complete and abiding experiences of Samadhi or um, absorption. We're able to stay in the absorbed state. And like you said earlier, as a Westerner, I personally want to be able to be fully present with people in relationship and in this human life at the same time that I know that it is somewhat of an illusion, if not totally an illusion. Mm. And I don't say that from an intellectual place. I, I want to be clear that yeah. I've had two very, very distinct experiences that have expanded to allow me to know that. And, and one was a near-death car accident where I was clearly conscious after a, a car accident of being consciousness without a body. And when I returned to my body, this life was seen as very malleable and also an illusion. I knew it for sure. And yet I returned to this body and to this life with a great deal of freedom to more specifically choose how I wanted to do this life and my life changed. Mm. And then the other experience was after years of doing practices, 14, 12 years of doing practices with Swamiji 
uh, given to me by Swamiji, I had a direct experience of the vastness of what I'll just call that with a capital T, that which is. It was an embodied experience, but it was also way nobody, you know, nobody, no self, Mm. no. It was the accumulation of all these years of practices. Mm. And did that fade? Yeah, it faded, but there's an imprint and a knowing of it that has also expanded. And it bleeds through my experience of being in a physical body as a human in relationship to people. And there are times when that bleed through completely takes over. And there are times when it fades. And I would say I seem to be in a dual experience of the (laughs) non-dual. In that there's a going back and forth. At the same time, sometimes I can be totally here and experience it just as everything. You know, everything is that. Mm. And then other times it's going back and forth. Mm. And um, my practice is to abide in that, to see both at the same time. Yeah. I think those experiences, you know, they... I don't know now if this is true for everyone, but let's say, (laughs) for example, those experiences, they fill our heart with like such love or something so then but it's really we also see that it's not about the experience you know because our experience is changing the whole time like you know today like right now we're having an experience tonight we might have a different kind of experience tomorrow we might have a spiritual experience we might have a non-dual then a dual then a suffering experience then a blissful experience (laughs) you know um but yeah but they they are all as you said changing experiences but there's something Mm. that's realized that's different from that yeah that's what i mean and uh, even though there's something that's realized that's different from that and that comes throughout the experience but yet i think still i i think it's something like that love that it's like an opening into love or something and like then i think that's what keeps us going to want to do like kundalini work you know to not let that get blocked and to like do any kind of healing is to somehow you don't really have to think this or I don't know if it's even true but I'm just saying it (laughs) but somehow like something wants that love to just kind of flow through us like unimpeded and we don't know how it's gonna look there's a recognition there's a recognition which is sometimes called a glimpse experience the recognition is totally ordinary yeah and it's present here between you and me it's it's present as love the greater love that permeates the whole universe it's it's without level or distinction it is simply ordinarily present but having said that there is something inwards that happens where that recognition is undeniably realized and Mm. it's not intellectual. And I think you can get there through intellectual inquiry, but even through intellectual inquiry, there's a something that is nothing that happens where it's no longer intellectual. It's realized. Mm. And we have very poor language for this because Mm. it doesn't go away. It doesn't change, Mm. but sometimes we move away from that recognition. Why? I don't know. Perhaps Mm. we have more work to do, as you said, on, on the other Mm. stuff that obstructs it, but Mm. it is completely real, completely clear, completely recognizable, completely ordinary. Mm. And, not separate from either you and me and we can abide in that Mm. i know we can abide in that and do our lives we don't have to be on a mountaintop we can stay relation relational if we choose yeah some people don't choose that and they go silent because there's nothing left to say and nothing left to seek yeah that's true 
I just somehow I was saying this to somebody else, I think today or yesterday. But like at least here, it's like I remember saying to my teacher, if it doesn't translate as sorry for one second. Ah, oh, you did. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. If like waking up to the truth of who we are, if it doesn't translate as love in the world, then like I'm really not interested in. It. But I know it's not necessarily like this for everybody either. <laughs> um, but somehow that's exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the ethics and the morals were supposed to be in place way before you embarked on a spiritual path. <laughs> and, yeah, love to me translates as really caring for the other and not using power over the other, yeah. not seducing the other. Um, yeah. 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 So love in the biggest sense is treating the other as the self, right? Yeah. Yeah, and even though we can know this, like I feel here, it's like it's really known like really deeply in my heart. But yeah, I also see that I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> like I can't just be like sitting in a cave all day or just be like, oh, like I'm, I'm like awakened now or something. <laughs> like I have lots of work to do because I don't always even relate to people from that place. Like in a moment I can forget or I can behave like out of like some kind of old hurt that's in my my being or something. Right. Or, um, But I think just something I want to bring out is that I think when this happens to some people, it's like they feel like, oh, well, I'm not awakened then or something. And they're almost like throwing their whole like awakening into the bin or something. It's like, oh, I still I have to like return to this like um personality of being a seeker because um I behaved in this way or I'm upset by this or upset by that. But I feel like that's a, an idea that somehow part of me feels like it wants to um just bring that into the light and say, like, that's not the case. Really. Not the case. I have triggers. Um, I think one of the best spiritual practices that we can have is bringing love, like you said, and awareness and curiosity to our triggers because yeah. it's like you pull the string of a trigger and a whole ball of wax unravels. And if you follow it, you actually become more relational and more capable of self-love and loving the other yeah. that any trigger you have is actually a doorway to awakening yeah. and to the deepest possible union with self and other and the divine no separation yeah yeah it's like yeah. the the i feel like it's like i don't know let's say the divine the divine is like calling all parts of itself home to itself so it's not just that like right. that uh, part that we maybe call me and maybe that's what dissolves, you know, when you awaken like the the me that you believed yourself to be is seeing that, okay, that was a story. But there's still lots of other parts that are perhaps a part of the me <laughs> or perhaps not really as well. But there's parts here, you know, like, I don't know, there may be just energetic patterns that we give a story to or whatever, but all of them, it feels like everything is being called home somehow right mm. you know family systems therapy really starts at that place welcoming all the parts yeah. so there's yeah. a therapeutic model for instance um, yeah. that will lead to spiritual awakening if followed through right mm. because if you welcome all the parts that's a definition of wholeness as you said earlier yeah. if you exclude some of the parts the ugly stuff none of us want to admit or the shadow mm. then we're excluding something from the whole that's part of the whole yeah um so i don't really know what this is what i'm going to say so just on the bringing it back to kundalini a bit someone was asking me is our chakras related to kundalini or, or is it really that the kundalini energy is coming using the chakras, like you said, like prana, it's using the prana, or it's manifesting through prana? Yeah, chakras are a manifestation of prana and energy. Mm. As it moves through the subtle body, there are concentrations of 
channels, you could say, that appear as wheels of light or wheels of energy mm. that we in Sanskrit are called chakras. Mm. Kundalini is using this constellation of channels yeah. to do her work, you could say. And um, eventually just is, a, is the same as one, you know, when, mm -hmm. when she finishes it feminine because she merges with, Shakti merges with Shiva, the male and the female merge. Um, yeah. Again, another definition of wholeness, but she's really not different from the one. Yeah. So it's the aspect of the one that's in you mm. um, that uses energy and prana to help you experience the one. It's the simplest definition. Yeah. But it's very, very subtle. What most people experience are the energetic manifestation yeah. of the movement. Okay. You yeah. know, it's more subtle than that. When I've heard people speaking about Kundalini, mostly they're usually speaking about Kundalini rising, like so, like from your like root chakra, like up and maybe twirling around or something. Yeah. So uh, someone asked me recently about like my chakras opening or something. I don't know exactly what they said, but like, do you find your energy goes up or something like that? And I was like, oh, I was like, I don't really know. I, I said, I feel like it's kind of opposite for me. <laughs> I feel like like these ones have been open like all the time. Like when I was younger, like this was just open and this felt open. And then my heart's always kind of felt open. So it almost feels like or at least my attention Maybe it's just my attention to them, but like it's almost like working like downwards. And now lately, I feel like more the I guess it's like issues that would come up are more related to like like my root chakra and maybe sometimes my solar plexus chakra. Um. So I wonder, is that a real thing or am I making that up? <laughs> real thing. Oh. We're yeah. born with different. We're, do we're born with different proclivities. And I was born like you were with a wide open crown. Mm. And um, there are ascending and descending currents of energy. Mm. But Kundalini, at, at least initially, rises upwards, right? Mm. After the completion of the upward journey, many people describe a descent into the heart. And that's where that love that you were talking about is truly experienced, a non-dual love, as, mm. she, as she kind of makes her home in the heart, as consciousness and awareness makes her home in the heart. Yeah. Um, people are born with open crowns for different reasons, mm. or they're born with different chakras open um, to different levels of experience, we could say. The yogis say that the chakras don't really open until Kundalini has pierced them mm. and um, processed upwards through them. Mm. In my work with Barbara Brennan, we use the language of open and closed chakras mm. in a different way. And that kind of energetic languaging has become very popular. Mm. So you can open a chakra by thinking about it, by doing certain colors, by certain mm. exercises. That languaging is not part of yogic philosophy. I just want to make the distinction. Yeah. And I'm kind of in the middle somewhere about that. Because mm. I know that Kundalini does pierce the chakras as it goes upward. Mm. And there's a great purification and restoration of each chakra in Kundalini process. Mm. It's different from the way that healers, especially those trained by Barbara Brennan, talk about it. So I'm just making a distinction. Yeah. And is it mostly like to have this, what you're calling, like the knowledge of Kundalini to just kind of understand what's happening anyway within ourselves? Or is there like something that people can do, you know, like so to kind of like tune into their um, energetic bodies or subtle bodies, like you said, and somehow help it, maybe? Right. It's such a good question. Um, yes, it's really good to understand Kundalini, to understand your own process. 
And because it is so subtle and so specific, and because I've never seen this specific knowledge that um, Kundalini Vidya has, I would recommend people read the book called Kundalini Vidya. We'll make a link to it by Joan Harrigan. Mm-hmm. It's different from anything else you will find out there and very, very, very specific. I often don't recommend that people do things to force the Kundalini to open mm-hmm. because she is knowledge supreme. Mm-hmm. She has the knowledge and wisdom to open you. It's the reverse. Mm-hmm. I do su- suggest to people that they find a way to pray, to rest, to relax, to surrender to that which is inside them wanting to open them. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean you don't need certain kinds of help if you're having a troublesome kind of process. Mm. And the right kind of help at the right time is really helpful. (laughs) And... um, Sylvia Eberl does some work with people in Austria. We'll put a link to that. Mm-hmm. Very hard to, um, she has a three-year waiting list. Is, uh, oh, okay. last I heard. Mm-hmm. So certain times, other kinds of help is necessarily necessary. Mm-hmm. The main thing is, though, is to not be afraid. Yeah. She's the g- divine force within you striving to open you and bring you towards union. Mm-hmm. Um information can be helpful to help you relax and and go with the flow, so to speak. Mm. Um, Devotion is really helpful. The feeling of longing and devotion to your chosen deity, your chosen form of sound, of God, of worship, whatever that is for you, Mm. whatever name or no name you choose to call that, that which is the Mm. creator, the source of all life, Devotion is very useful because it brings towards you that what you need in the moment. Yeah. Um, so earlier you said something like, you know, when Kundalini is moving or something. Okay, I don't know exactly what, but it like pings, yeah. it pings different areas and then those pings like trigger like trauma or something. So let's say if somebody's trauma is triggered and they're having a lot of uh, issues about like old conditioning, let's say, um, then do you feel like surrender if they're in a kind of a position in their heart, you know, to be able to just surrender that and not know, like just trust, like you said, like trust her, like so trust this this movement of Kundalini that that itself is going to do everything it needs to do. So just like surrender into the wisdom of the energetic movements in your body so that might mean i don't know if it would mean that but it might mean like doing nothing <laughs> about the it specific might, it trauma might, it might mean going to a trauma therapist too yeah it might not be enough to just surrender because certain things require a relational context to heal and tra- trauma is one of those things that needs a relational context to heal Because the wounding very often happens in relationship to a loved one that you trusted in some way. Yeah. Or to a situation that certainly turned, uh, suddenly turned on you and affected more than one system, psychological, emotional, you know, emotional, physical, there's all sorts of trauma. Yeah. So finding the right help for the right situation is really important. Therapy Mm. is great for certain yeah. things and trusting that you can relax and surrender is also good at different times yeah. also i want to say that openings also produce great revelation bliss calmness peace mm-hmm. yeah. visions you know um maybe those are temporary experiences but they're very impressive experiences when they happen <laughs> and yeah. the, the, these glimpse experiences give you the motivation to surrender because yeah. they're often filled with love and peace and bliss and light. Mm. We don't want to ignore the other side. Either. Yeah, of course. And yeah. do you feel like, um, you know, I don't know how exactly how to put this, but 
people often have the question like, oh, but how do I know what is the right help to get? You know, so they recognize that, okay, they need help and maybe they recognize they need relational help as well. But there's so many things out there. So I feel like, I don't know what you would say, but I feel like, and I would like to know what you would say, but I feel like I would or usually just say to just trust yourself and just trust whatever kind of impulses you have and what comes into your awareness, you know, and just what you feel drawn towards. And you can't really make a mistake because if you go to that, you feel drawn towards, um, let's say you feel drawn towards a hands-on healing or you feel drawn towards maybe somatic experiencing, then like you just do it and find out what it's like like you can't go wrong because then at least you know and then maybe that'll be the first step to move you to the next thing something like that right you can trust that and ha- and keep your discernment with you you know yeah because yeah it's not always a good match the first person you pick it can be mm, um you can trust that vibrational knowing that inner knowing mm. and i would say sometimes you outgrow the person, then you have to trust again and move, like you said, to the next thing. Um, Keep your discernment with you. And as you try something, see if it still feels right. Yeah. Because something that felt right for me five years ago doesn't feel right for me now. Yeah. You know, and different stages of the spiritual path need different different um teachers maybe or different practices yeah yeah Yeah. i wonder if you'd like to share something about somatic experiencing and like um i don't know exactly what kind of thing like just maybe the benefits of it or how it feels to experience somatic experiencing or whatever you'd like to share about it I'd like to tell, tell the listeners a couple of things. Um, I had heard about it for years before I actually trained in it. And um, I had had this near-death car accident. And I kept hearing about somatic experiencing. And I went to um, a friend's workshop. She was in somatic experiencing. I literally went there during dinner time to have dinner with her. And as I sat with her in the dining room of her class, you know, that everybody was eating, Mm -hmm. there was something undefinable for me as an energy person Mm -hmm. that felt really good to me. And it was as if there was an inner inness and palpable calm and feeling of what I now know to be regulated nervous systems. Mm. And I I don't know what to say about that, except in my childhood, that was not my childhood home. Mm. My childhood home felt like it was filled with anxiety and high decibel energy at different times. Mm -hmm. This felt the opposite of that. And I remarked upon that to my friend, and she said, yeah, we've been working on regulating our nervous systems. I didn't know what that meant. Mm. But the feeling of it really attracted me to somatic experiencing. Mm. And I since went on to join the training, and I had about eight sessions with my car accident. I had private sessions to process my car accident. Mm And I was unconscious uh, for most of the accident, except for the first second, was unconscious. And yet I had eight sessions processing what was left in my body of trauma from Mm -hmm. that car accident. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty amazing to have somebody help me track what my body still held in in the from the car accident. Mm -hmm. And then through the three years plus because I did extra training, of training, I processed a lot of um, emotional stuff, um, pre-birth and birth trauma that I had in my system. Mm. And my nervous system got regulated. I don't experience life through the lens of anxiety Mm. anymore. And that used to be the kind of triggering thing that would set off other triggers 
because yeah. I was always anxious, you know? Yeah. And it got so that I was able to process a small hum in my nervous system of anxiety, not the loud hum of anxiety, mm -hmm. but a very, very subtle hum. And if you're a meditator and you go into silence and you still feel a hum of anxiety, which many people do, it keeps you from going deeper into silence. Mm. So eventually we process that even, mm. which was connected to uh, gestational trauma actually. Mm. So those are just some examples of how that body-centered work mm. clears mm. you and allows you to actually do your spiritual work without that interference. Yeah. Um, I hope that grounds it a little bit, you know. Yeah. And I wonder if you'd be able to say something about what it is like to process like something like um yeah, like so to process that let's say that hum of anxiety. Like would that mean something like I mean of course you're not going to go into huge detail but would it mean something like like bringing your just I think there must be something else but is it like just bringing your attention to it and like really allowing yourself to feel it um and not resisting it or noticing the, all the things around it like if there's resistance to it and just including all of those things and really just letting yourself have the experience is it a way of letting yourself really have the experience in a very particular way, though, the training, that would be easy. The training would take, a di you know, five minutes if that yeah. was yeah. right? So the practitioner is trained to attune to the other person, to slow things down, mm -hmm. to take things in very small increments, to allow the nervous system to guide the practice. It's a client-led practice. Mm. And the practitioner is really important in helping the client attune to their own body in a very particular way. Mm. And then the practitioner is also trained to look for and include other levels of experience, including um, image, cognition, um, sensation, image, cognition, behavior, affect and the, the body's motor sensory motor system mm. and including all that will lead you down some very very interesting pathways mm. and they're all nervous system related yeah okay that's so it's not an easy question to answer but that's the base what you said is the tip of the iceberg and the basic premise yeah i tend to like oversimplify <laughs> think sometimes um but that's really yeah. good like clarification so of course you'd have to experience it to really know like you can't yeah just talk about something and the psychological <laughs> is not excluded either you're yeah. not excluding the psychological mm. and i don't exclude the subtle yeah that's good and um we're just coming towards the end of our time together so I had a kind of a sense of a question coming. I don't know why. We don't have to answer it if you don't want to. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you, like, if you wanted to share something about, I don't know, like, how to word it, because these might be my words and they might, might not be how you think about it, but, like, just your connection to the divine or your love for, like, the whole or something like that. You might use different words, but if you wanted to say something about your experience yeah. it my connection to the divine is something I was born with and until somebody named that for me I wouldn't have known what that was because it was innate to this being right and gradually as it was named and discovered it was felt as a deep longing. I've often said God or bust, right? But it was a longing for something that I thought was unreachable or outside of me. And then gradually, 
through all the spiritual work I've done and all the emotional, physical, psychological work, the longing disappeared and the seeking disappeared Mm. and the words for it disappear. Um, As with all people that you would ask, how do you put words on that? Which is, you know, how do you describe that? Um, So I I don't know what to say, except that I still do spiritual practice from the place of wanting to connect more deeply to that, but it's not a dualistic thing. And yet it looks that way because you sit for dualistic, you know, you sit for practice, Mm -hmm. but the practice is the dissolving of any identifications or self or sense of self. And at the same time, those identifications still exist, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Mm. But you don't reject that. You don't look at it dualistically. So yeah. it's really hard to talk about. Yeah. It, I would just call it, I love doing practice because I get the time and silence to be in silence and be with that, which is. Mm. And you can also do that while talking to each other, while we're in the middle of a conflict. Um, You can look at conflict with great um, spaciousness for all that is, Mm. for the both sides, and it changes the Mm. experience of conflict. Yeah. And you call it love. Love is great. You can look at conflict with the greater love Mm. that embraces both sides. Yeah. And then come, it changes relationship. Thank you. That's kind of a fun question because it's hard to, I know it's hard to put into words. I think yeah. you did pretty good. It was good. There's, to- there's also, <laughs> there's also been an experience of that awareness descending to the heart as we alluded to earlier. Mm-hmm. And it becomes like a love that doesn't have any psychology to it or preference. Yeah. The heart just loves. Yeah. It's like the way I like Muji says, like love loves to love. It's nothing personal. <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Mm. And I can't say that it's always consistent in me because I have leaps where I feel separate and, like you said, my stuff comes up. I, I don't want to pretend I don't have that. Mm. And uh, that experience of love that just loves has to be directed towards myself in that moment. Mm. The one that feels caught or separate again or whatever, you know, whatever the trigger is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And just when you were talking about your practice, just what was coming or how I was kind of understanding it. So just like, like you just want like sit to just experience yourself, like just the joy of experiencing yourself. <laughs> it's like that. It's not like the same, like you're not trying to reach somewhere or you're not looking to have any particular experience. Just like you just experiencing yourself. It sounded like that. <laughs> or these self or these self. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you for being so tuned in to the questions that are arising in this field, because mm. I can really feel how carefully you're attuned. Mm. And it's really a pleasure to be with somebody who can do that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's very beautiful. It's a gift you have. Oh, good. That's good. Thanks for yeah. pointing that out. <laughs> thank you. So. Is there anything else that you would like to share or express before we say goodbye? There'll be a link to this. I wrote a memoir of my journey because it's so, I have such an unusual journey that has gone through this healing work, through uh, Kabbalistic training and healing, through Mm -hmm. Kundalini experience. Um, My memoir is called Wired for God, Adventures of a Jewish Yogi. It's available on Amazon. And I'll put some links to my website um, in the little blurb before 
this interview below this interview yes wonderful thank you so much it's been thank you for having me yes it's been so like it's just been a pleasure to connect with you and to hear your sharing and see you (laughs) feel you (laughs) thank you thank you and i hope we connect again yes that'd be lovely (laughs) thank you so much i wish you a beautiful day bye Danny. bye